This is the human side of healthcare, where we explore all aspects of today's ever-changing healthcare environment. Brought to you by the Dallas-Fort Worth Hospital Council and featuring CEO Stephen Love with co-host Thomas Miller. Now, let's make healthcare human again. Welcome to the human side of healthcare. Delighted you're with us today. You know, spring is upon us. We've got sports that are coming. But unfortunately, with sports, sports injuries. What do we do once we have them? And even more importantly, how do we prevent them? We're delighted we've got Dr. Paul Watley with us today. He specializes in sports medicine and is an orthopedic specialist at Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital located in Denton. Dr. Watley, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you very much, Steve. It's uh, really good to be here. We know as we look at sports and we think in terms of soccer, baseball, tennis, the full gamut, what would you say is the most common sports injury? Well, luckily, the most common injuries are probably those that are the least severe, and it really kind of depends on what age uh, the athlete is and then what kind of sport they're participating in. You know, at all ages, we see contusions and sprains and strains, and so, um, you know, contusions are just uh, bruises, essentially, and they can be superficial or deep and a sprain is usually related to a ligament in a joint that gets pulled a little bit more than what the body wants it to be pulled. And then strains involve uh, muscles that can be overworked or can be pulled or stretched as well. In kids, we always worry about uh, their bones because their bones are a little bit softer than adults. And so fractures are pretty common when uh, kids will fall from monkey bars or fall down on the soccer field. The tricky thing as parents is sometimes it can be tough to identify whether or not something's just a bruise or a fracture. And so uh, you know your kid best if they're acting a little more uncomfortable than they typically would be for something like that. It never hurts to just get that checked out. As we get into the teenage years, that's when we start seeing ligament and meniscus injuries. The ligaments can involve just about any joint, but uh, meniscus is a cartilage pad in the knee that can oftentimes be injured traumatically from a twist or a tear. And then in our adult athletes uh, like me, then we see a lot of things like exacerbation of some already degenerative issues. Um, You know, people who already have a little bit of rotator cuff tendonitis get on that tennis court and play a little too much, and sometimes that tendonitis can become a tear. Uh, or people who already have some knee arthritis may decide to go for just a little bit too much of a run, and that uh, knee arthritis can lead to a degenerative meniscus tear. And then, of course, just flaring up arthritis can happen. And so um, a lot of those things are things to kind of keep an eye out for and keep in mind. You know, many times athletes have to do repetitive-type exercises, and you get an overuse injury. Can you explain that? to our listeners. Sure thing. Well, overuse injuries are exactly what they sound like. It stems from something being used more than what it's uh, meant to be used for. And that really varies a lot depending on how well conditioned an athlete is. You know, certainly a professional baseball pitcher can throw a whole lot more baseballs than you or I could and not have any risk of injuring their shoulders. Um, You know, the patients who are at risk for most overuse injuries are those that participate in the same kind of sport year round. And that's what we're seeing nowadays, uh, especially in baseball, where 
uh, you know, springtime isn't uh, the only time we see baseball now. It continues on into the summer with showcases and all-star uh, leagues, and then it progresses to fall ball, and then there's even a lot of throwing in the winter. So um, if uh, these kids never had the opportunity for their shoulders and elbows to rest adequately, that's when we start seeing these overuse injuries. But again, a lot of that can be combated by conditioning the right way and training the right way. That being said, it never hurts to take a season off or to diversify what sports uh, your kids are involved in. Um, A lot can be said for playing a different sport for a little while and just having that actually enhance the primary sport. You know, you mentioned that some of the common sports injuries are somewhat minor. But, you know, especially to people that are participating in sports or parents that are observing their children, what are the signs or symptoms that you would say are kind of red flags that you might need a little higher level of professional care? Some of the biggest things are to listen for anything that doesn't sound or feel natural in the body. Like any kind of pop or snap is usually bad. And so if you feel or hear anything like that, it's worth getting looked at. And then, of course, anything that looks funny is probably not right either. It's not uncommon for somebody who's a middle-aged guy to lift a refrigerator or something too heavy and have a pop in that elbow and then notice that the biceps muscle looks funny. Um, And that is a pretty common injury to rupture that distal biceps tendon, the tendon where it inserts on the elbow. Um, And the concerning thing is sometimes people wait it out, hoping it'll just go away. And if you wait too long, it becomes very difficult to repair. So anything that looks deformed or abnormal is another red flag. And then, of course, if there's anything that feels unstable. You know, many times when we participate in sports, we hear, hey, shake it off. But if that injury continues and you have pain, is that a red flag to get additional medical care? Yeah, that's definitely a red flag because uh, it takes a little while for swelling to set in. And sometimes adrenaline's pumping during the time of this uh, athletic activity. And so if it's not really too swollen and pain seems to be tolerable, a lot of times people will decide to just kind of push through their pain. And then when they finally rest and things calm down and then it swells is when they realize how bad the issue really is. You know, you mentioned in one of your answers a very important thing, and that's proper conditioning. Whether you're an adolescent or an adult, proper conditioning is important as you warm up and loosen up before an athletic event. Do you have thoughts for our listeners related to proper conditioning? Yeah, absolutely. And that's hard to get through because I was a youth athlete as well to a degree and I didn't stretch or feel like I needed to warm up very much because it didn't seem like it made much of a difference to me then. But I can tell you as a uh, middle-aged, you know, amateur cyclist now, it makes all the difference in the world to stretch afterwards, especially the next time I try and, and get on that bike. And so proper warm up and cool down and stretching is key to prevent new injuries. Uh, the other thing, especially for the younger folks, is making sure that we're doing things the right way. So having the proper form when throwing can be the biggest difference maker in the world for preventing an injury to the elbow. Um, having good coaches uh, who really can keep an eye on that and having you know, professional trainers who can do that as well. 
um, that's something that's worth your time and your money to invest in and your kid to make sure that they are going to be able to have a long uh, career doing what they love doing. And then the other thing is just listen to your body. In the real world, it's not like the movies. This is rarely a push-through-the-pain kind of thing, and you'll just be better on the back end of it. If your body's hurting, listen to what it's telling you. Most of the time, it's better to shut things down and take a break than it is to try and uh, press forward. We are getting some great tips on preventing sports injuries, particularly with our kids, from Dr. Paul Waitley from Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital in Denton. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about the growth plates, which could sideline your kid for months. What's this all about? Well, stay tuned and we'll tell you on the human side of healthcare. This is the human side of healthcare, where we feature healthcare's hottest topics and what our North Texas area hospitals are doing to make healthcare human again. Welcome back. We're continuing our conversation with Dr. Paul Waitley, sports medicine and orthopedic specialist at Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital in Denton. If you don't know about growth plates, stay with us because we're going to talk about it in this segment. And the full interview is on our podcast, both on YouTube and all the audio podcast players. Steve? You know, for individuals that may get an injury, especially a sports injury, and let's assume that they're young adolescents, is there a potential that this could impact all through their adulthood as well? Yeah, absolutely. We see that all the time, unfortunately. Um, a kid who will tear a ligament in their knee or a cartilage pad in their knee during high school football will oftentimes come to see me when they're in their mid to late 20s, and now they've got pretty significant premature arthritis in that knee. And the tough thing is, is when you see knee arthritis in someone who's middle-aged, well, you know, if all else fails, knee replacement's an option for somebody who's in their 50s or 60s. Knee replacement's not an option for somebody who's got arthritis in their 20s because that knee replacement will be worn out in five to 10 years than somebody who's at high demand. So then you're stuck having to deal with an arthritic knee for another 15 to 20 years until you're old enough to be able to get it replaced. So you're absolutely right in thinking an injury as a kid can definitely impact you as an adult. Thomas and I have interviewed a lot of physicians, whether it be with diabetes or whether it be with cardiovascular issues, and they all say the best thing to do is prevention. And you've touched on prevention by proper warming up. Are there other ways that you can advise our listeners to help prevent sports injuries? The proper warm-up and the proper form are probably the best ways to prevent the chronic overuse and wearing out types of injuries. Uh, and then you have the fluky traumatic injuries. And I would say that, you know, those can be a lot more difficult to prevent, but probably the best way to do that is to just have a realistic perception of what your body is capable of doing. Um, you know, maybe if this is your first time on a skateboard, it's not time for you to go into the half pipe. Um, so we see all kinds of instances where somebody who doesn't know how to ride a horse gets on a horse for the first time and uh, tragedy ensues. So in summary, I would say that uh, some of it is just bad luck, but there are some steps you can take to uh, make your luck just a little bit better. You know, I remember when I used to play sports, and especially when I was an adolescent, sometimes I guess I was hard-headed or strong-willed. Do you have any words of wisdom to parents 
on maybe you'd like to advise them on how they deal sometimes with sports injuries and for strong-willed athletes. So as a parent of some strong-willed adolescents, I understand what you're talking about completely. Uh, sometimes they don't want to listen to what their parents had to say, even when their parent is a specialist in the issue at hand. You know, sports are supposed to be fun. That's what we need to emphasize to our kids is uh, if it's getting to the point to where injuries are happening often, usually the fun is starting to get sucked out of it. And so kids can feel that coming, and if they uh, love it and are passionate about it, then the key is just to tell them that this capsule is really a short time frame in the overall lifespan of a person. You know, it's hard for somebody in the middle of football season to want to miss a game or two. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, missing a game or two when you're in ninth grade is not going to put you behind in your career. And then we see the other side, too, where there are some strong-willed parents who don't want their kids to miss out or to get behind any other kids. And my advice to them is that I've hardly ever seen somebody who's had to miss a month or two of a sport fall behind their competition and not be competitive any longer. That just doesn't really happen. Dr. Waitley, this is Thomas. You know, you and Steve were talking earlier about parents sometimes pushing their kids to stay in there. Do you think sometimes parents push their kids too much? So every scenario is different. There are parents who are probably not involved enough. That There are parents who are overly involved. And um, you can definitely see negatives to each side of that equation. Um, I, I do feel like that there is an emphasis on uh, trying to keep up with the Joneses. And so parents are investing tons of money to get kids into select leagues and to play year-round ball and to have the private lessons, and they're hoping for a scholarship. And when it comes time to get that scholarship, they're surprised to find that the scholarship is to a school that their kid probably wouldn't normally go to. And so they end up going to that school and they play for a year and they don't love it anymore and they end up quitting the sport anyway and then they are paying tuition just like everybody else at a school where they didn't really want to go in the first place. And so that money being spent on a college savings plan might have been uh, a wiser decision to make. But, um, you know, if it's the kid's dream, it's probably worth investing in. If it's the parent's dream and the parents see it as an avenue for free college, that's when I think you're setting yourself up for failure. Wow. Steve, did you hear that? That was perfect. What a great answer. That was it awesome. It was a fantastic answer. That was, you just nailed it. You know, Thank you. my son got an ACL tear, 14, playing lacrosse. Because it was in practice, and some kid hit him from the side. And basically, I probably both of them weren't paying attention. Any advice that you could give to parents on maybe trying to somehow wiggle a little thought into the kid's head about being a little bit more cautious? You know, if I had the magic answer for that, I would implement it in my 14-year-old uh, before anybody else. But paying attention is hard for anybody at any age, and it just seems to be harder uh, when you're at that age and there's so much on your mind uh, but being aware of what's around you and of your surroundings is something that kind of does come with experience more than anything else, too. And so I would say that when a kid is first starting out and early on in their sports careers, emphasizing that is key uh, so that it does come a little more naturally as they get older and 
the speed starts picking up and the size of their competitor starts getting larger. Yeah, that's exactly what happened there. And at 14, all of a sudden, we were talking ACL surgery, but growth plates was something that old dad got educated about. Can you talk to our parents about growth plates? Because like me, they may not have even known that that was a factor. What are they and how do they contribute to this? Sure. So growth plates are how bones get longer and everybody is born with them. And what they are, they're areas on the ends of the bone where cells make new bone. And as they make new bone, they push that bone on either side of the growth plate to lengthen the bone and to build the joint essentially. Those growth plates typically close in teenage years. Girls' growth plates close a little earlier than boys, um, and they are weak spots in the bone for an injury because they are softer and they uh, can definitely be prone to fracturing. And so for that reason, um, being vigilant about any major injury or swelling or deformity in a kid is really important because if there is a disruption in that growth plate, that growth plate can shut down prematurely and end up resulting in a deformity in the limb. Definitely pay attention to that. When it comes to surgeries, then that's something that on my end we worry about because we need to do surgeries in a safe way that's going to protect the growth plate. And ACL surgery is one of those hot topics where we can still do an ACL surgery on someone with open growth plates, but sometimes we have to modify how we would do that in order so that we don't cause that growth deformity in the future. Yeah, and that became, a for us, a weight kind of decision. And it really boiled down because this was something that we didn't have a, any background or education in, just looking right at the surgeon and saying, that's your kid. What would you do? And he said, I'd wait. Exactly. So and that's did. the kind of advice I like to give to my patients as well. Um, you know, what I would do if it were my kid. And uh, there are definitely some where waiting is the right answer, but there are some where a child is so young that waiting would actually be probably more harmful because they would have to wait so long that they then put themselves at risk for cartilage injury to that joint without having a stable knee. And so it's really a case-by-case basis. Yeah. So he did sit out, and that's the message to parents is you push and push and push. You get that kind of an injury at that critical moment. You're not going to go to the repair shop, get it fixed, and have them back out next season. You might be sitting there for a year or so. Yeah, it's very possible. So that's a consideration when you want to push them harder. And, you know, I see a lot of even baseball pitchers who, uh, you know, they're 17 years old and they get a Tommy John injury and have to have a surgery. And that's a surgery that takes a year and a half to come back from minimum. And during that year and a half, those kids who had nothing but baseball all of a sudden discover, hey, I can go out with my friends and I can go out on dates. And so they end up not coming back to baseball because the alternative is a more attractive lifestyle for them. So that's something to keep in mind, too, is uh, sometimes injuries can seem like they're the end of the world on the front end of it, but then on the back end of it it turns out that maybe it was all for the best. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Dr. Waitley. Dr. Paul Waitley, Texas Health, Presbyterian Hospital, Denton. Great advice. Thanks for being with us. Now, while the kids are out playing, so are the adults, and we're going to talk about motorcycle and bicycle and pedestrian safety next with Courtney Edwards from Parkland Health and Hospital System. 
Welcome back to The Human Side of Healthcare, where we explore how to take better care of your health so you can live a happier, healthier life. With DFW Hospital Council CEO, Stephen Love, along with Thomas Miller. Welcome back. You know, spring is here. Summer's around the corner. People are out and about. We're going to focus on vehicle safety. And we're going to have back with us today, Courtney Edwards, who's the Director of Trauma Community Outreach at Parkland Health System. Courtney, welcome back. Well, thank you for having me. You know, Courtney, we're going to talk about motorcycles, bicycles, pedestrian, all the vehicle safety we can. But from your point of view, what is the one thing we can all do to help prevent motorcycle accidents? I think the biggest thing is knowing and looking twice for motorcyclists. They are small. And so when drivers see motorcycles, they think that they're often farther away than they actually are. And with the combination of the congested roadways that we see in the North Texas area, distracted driving, it's very difficult sometimes to see those motorcycles in the traffic lanes around us. Um, And that's where accidents and crashes happen. You know, many times I've been, especially on interstate, when motorcycle weave in and out of traffic and around cars and switch lanes, what should we do then? The center of the lane is where oil and debris and that kind of builds up in that center of the lane because cars, they're driving on the sides of the lanes. So oftentimes motorcycles will drive on the side of the lane as well. And it, it does give that illusion that they're weaving in and out, but that's safer for them on that side of the lane. Now, when motorcycles are um, passing, ideally, they should follow the same rules that we do. Um, Looking twice, checking their mirrors, checking their blind spots, using their turn signals, getting in, passing as quickly as possible while not speeding too greatly, and then scooting back over to the lane. And so it can give that appearance that they're weaving in and out. Um, And we'd like to think that all motorcyclists are you know, obeying the rules, but just like you and I driving cars, every once in a while, our foot gets a little heavy and we break the rules. Um, They break the rules as well. And that's where that look twice really comes into play. You know, in Texas, what are the laws surrounding the requirements of riders on motorcycles to wear helmets? Well, if you are under the age of 21, you're required to wear a helmet. If you're not under the age of 21, you're not required to, but I really hope you do. Let me ask you this. Are there specific helmets based on your experience that you recommend that people purchase and wear? So one of the things that I wasn't quite familiar with at first, but motorcycle helmets are graded. Um, And that's one of the things that you kind of want to look about and look for when you're trying to pick a helmet. I've heard some motorcyclists say that they don't like the helmet because it doesn't fit right and they can't see well and it's uncomfortable. And it's probably because they had a helmet that didn't fit them properly. All of our heads are a little bit different. And that helmet should feel a bit tight at first, but it should really fit snugly and squarely on your head. And those cheek pads should actually touch your cheeks. Um, there is grading systems. There are um, the Department of Transportation does rate helmets and has little stickers on them. And so when you're looking for motorcycle helmets, that's really what you should be looking for is those Department of Transportation compliant um, 
helmets. Um, and helmets, you know, need to be replaced too. Every five years or so, making sure that you get a new helmet that fits appropriately, um, that, you know, doesn't have the wear and tear that has been going on for the past, you know, several months, years while you've been wearing it. Because, you know, we all have gel in our hair and that gets on the inside and it can degrade some of that cushioning in there that is protecting us. And, you know, if you ever crash with your helmet, you should replace it because we're not sure it's going to offer the same level of protection the next time around. You know, I, I know that you tr- you reach into the community for prevention, but unfortunately, accidents do occur. People are brought to our trauma units. Can you explain to our listeners the safety involved of being involved in a motorcycle accident wearing a helmet as opposed to not wearing one? There's huge safety implications in having helmets. From a healthcare standpoint, we don't have a lot of tools and tricks to fix a brain that's been injured. The best that we can really do is support it and support the body as it tries to heal those injuries. And um, there's numbers out there that say all, nearly a thousand people's lives could have been saved each year if all motorcyclists had worn helmets. And it's something simple and easy to do when I see someone that comes in that wasn't wearing a helmet and had a head injury after a motorcycle crash, it it kind of hurts a little bit because that's an easy thing to fix. Now, motorcycle helmets aren't going to protect every part of you from injury. That's why, you know, we also encourage protective clothing um, and reinforced clothing that has some armor in it, some steel plates to help keep you a little bit protected while you're riding and sharing the road with the cars. Um, and so those are some of the, the recommendations that we have is, you know, it's really a pretty simple effort and it's really effective in keeping that head safe. We're listening to Courtney Edwards, the Director of Trauma Community Outreach at Parkland Health System. This full interview is on our podcast, The Human Side of Healthcare, and also on our YouTube channel. What are your thoughts on helmets and people that just ride bikes? Same thing. Wear a properly fitted bicycle helmet. And just like, you know, we think of kids riding our bicycles around the city and everything. As kids grow, their heads grow as well. And so they need new helmets um, to protect that brain and save that life for them. So that's important. Um, having a bicycle that fits you. So when that you stand over your bike, you should have about two inches between you and that top bar. If you're using a road bike or three to four inches, if you're using that mountain type bike um, and making sure that seat is nice and level because that can prevent other injuries that we can see sometimes when you know little kids are riding on bicycles that might be big brother or big sister or um, you're sharing friends bicycles that's as important and you know even riding around on sidewalks or in the we prefer sidewalks if you're in the roads just make sure just like on motorcycles see and be seen brightly colored clothing Check twice, look both ways, and watch out for those road hazards because that's, you know, I I can tell you when I was a kid, that's what got me once is I hit a pothole on my bicycle and then went over the handlebars and skinned up my knees and elbows pretty good. You know, and I know we're talking about bikes and motorcycles, but I'm assuming, uh, Courtney, this would also apply to motorized scooters or even skateboards and those types of things. I'm sure you would recommend helmets, correct? Absolutely. 
you want to do everything you can to protect that noggin of yours. Um, and if it's not something surrounding it, like a vehicle or a car, then it should have a helmet on. You know, I like that answer, protect that noggin. That's a, that's a great way to think of it and wearing a helmet. You know, you, you've talked a lot about, especially regardless of whether someone's on a bike or someone's on a motorcycle, they're on a scooter, they're on a skateboard. If you're driving a motor vehicle, you should be aware. But, you know, we have congested roadways. We have distracted drivers. As you indicated, sometimes it's difficult to see motorcycles or bikes. Are there any other safety points that you want our listeners to think about when they're driving a motorized vehicle? Caution at intersections. Intersections are where most, those are dangerous areas. Um, A third of all motorcycle fatalities occur at intersections. We see car and car crashes all the time at intersections. That is where you really need to pause and think and look um, when you're making those left-hand turns, when you are getting way to go into the on-stream of traffic. Even if you have a green light, you have a green light doesn't mean that the next car isn't paying full attention and doesn't recognize that they have a red light. And so intersections are really one of the areas that you need to be very cognizant and cautious about. You know, that's really a big nugget of information you just gave us, that a third of motorcycle accidents occur at intersections. That's certainly worth repeating. You know, Courtney, you said at the outset that you want to prevent people from coming to the hospital. Are there any programs, events, or other things to educate our listeners related to safety on our highways that you can tell us about? So there's several different options. Some of your insurance companies have motorcycle training programs that you can do. And now some of these have even transitioned into virtual online trainings that are self-paced modules that you can do. Some of them will give you discounts on your insurance for you to do that extra step in gaining that knowledge, how to make yourself safer or the areas around you safer moving forward. There are um, many groups and services, some professional organizations, um, motorcycle groups that really take to heart and they like to share that message as well. And so those are all activities that you can get involved with or learn from or engage with to help get that additional information and education. And we often, you know, will partner with local groups and organizations for uh, safe teen and young adult driving. They have their own special risks as they're just now starting to gain that experience being out on the roadways. And so there are programs and events. Um, they're starting to become more frequent as we start to see these build again um, after COVID has shut them down so frequently. But there are a lot of options out there, um, information that you can find to help We're listening to Dr. Courtney Edwards. She has a doctorate in nursing and works at Parkland Health and Hospital System. She goes to work every day to help you and me prevent the kinds of injuries that can really disrupt our life. And one of the things that can cause some of the biggest injuries may be in your hand right now. We'll explain when we come back. 
covering the healthcare topics that matter most to North Texas. This is the human side of healthcare with DFW Hospital Council CEO Stephen Love, along with Thomas Miller. Welcome back. We're continuing our conversation with Courtney Edwards, the Director of Trauma Community Outreach at Parkland Health System. She oversees a department at Parkland that actually exists to keep people out of Parkland. We've talked a lot about motorized vehicles and motorcycles and bikes. I'm going to ask you another question, kind of throwing a curveball at you. What about pedestrian safety? I saw a person the other day walking and texting, and they stepped into oncoming traffic. Luckily, the cause stopped. Any advice for pedestrians? And that's one of the things that we have seen grow over the past years is the number of individuals that are injured um, while they are walking on the side of the road. Again, crossing those intersections. You got to watch those intersections. Um, And this is something that is concerning and it is bringing attention. And there are state efforts looking at the crosswalks and how crosswalks are designed and how the lights signal you to tell you it's safe to walk and cross the street. Because again, we're learning, we're trying to figure out what's going to make people safe, but your conversation about and watching the person texting while they're crossing the street, that's, that's probably not the way to keep yourself safe. You need your eyes up and paying attention to what's going on around you. Well, Courtney, you've given us great advice. Thomas, I see you've been taking copious notes over there. Do you have questions for Courtney? Well, I sure do. So, Courtney, one thing we know about motorcycles, and especially as the weather warms up and it's springtime, and they are just pure fun. I mean, go down to the hill country, nothing better, right? And listen to some of these latest headlines, just scanning Google News. Motorcyclist dead after fatal four-vehicle crash in Arlington. Three killed, multiple vehicle crash on North Central Expressway. Motorcyclist dies in collision with vehicle on 635. It goes on and on all across the Metroplex. From your perspective as a healthcare professional who treats trauma, what's the risk-reward balance here? So I will tell you one of our own trauma surgeons many years ago was actually struck and killed while riding his motorcycle. He was on his way to the hospital and Um, Dr. Perdue was loved by many, and there is nothing better than having and riding that motorcycle, but you have to be safe and very cognizant about what you're doing. In 2020, you're mentioning the headlines. We had 482 riders that lost their lives in Texas in 2020, and we all know what 2020 was like. 2020 was everything was shut down and people were hunkered down because of covid Um, And we still had that and we had nearly 2,000 serious crashes. So it is a risk benefit. And I'm not going to tell you one way or the other to make that decision. But I will tell you how to be safe and doing it. And that if we're sharing the roadways with motorcycles, taking that extra care when making a left turn, looking twice, paying special attention at intersections and, and give driving our full attention These rules are not just for sharing the roads with motorcycles, but it's sharing the roads with any other car out there. Yeah, that's for sure. And the cell phone doesn't help keeping that focus either, does it? And no, answering calls or changing radio stations. We don't want to do any of that. Um, We want to keep it right there. And so, you know, from a phone call 
standpoint, there are so many apps that your service providers have that um, you can put on your phone and it will tell people that are trying to get a hold of you, hey, I'm driving, I will check my messages and call you back. So that way the person knows that you're just not ignoring them, but that you have good reason um, as to why you didn't immediately answer that call or immediately answer that text message. There's a new dynamic on the roads, too. I don't know when it came in. Maybe you do because you keep such a eye on statistics that you might have seen when this transition started to happen. But people are more aggressive. They are less attentive. They drive faster. They demand space. Oh, my gosh. I saw a guy the other day pull around three or four vehicles that were going too slow for his preference, went up about Six car lengths. He got six whole car lengths, maybe 120, 150 feet ahead of what he was so upset about, and then cut in, making three more cars slam on their brakes. You see this all the time. How should we adjust our own psychology, our own driving psychology, that this reality is out there and we're not going to be able to do a darn thing to prevent it? It's just there, sadly. It is. It is. And it's, you know, if you can figure out how to change that wiring in people's brains, you would be a millionaire um, because we're all trying to figure that out. But the thing is, it's just that little bit of swerving, that stepping on the gas, it's not going to get you there that much faster. Um, And I'd rather any of us would rather you get there maybe one minute, two minutes, three minutes late versus not getting there at all. And that's something that we have to we have to keep in mind and we have to drive it, that defensive driving, being aware that it's not necessarily us. It could be the other guy, but you have to be prepared for that other guy. So that means you can't be on your phone um, and you can't be speeding because then you can't respond when someone else is that way in your lane. I managed a trauma surgery practice back in the day several years ago, and I saw a lot of the things that you have seen in your career because you have been a nurse. You have a doctorate in nursing, actually. And you've I mean, you've seen it all. You that's kind of like the uh, place in the hospital where you see raw humanity. And I know that if you were to try to communicate to somebody what it's like to be on the other side of that accident, basically mutilated and sometimes wishing that death had maybe would have been more merciful, sadly to say. That's a reality. How do you communicate that to people? So people always ask, you know, what what's the worst thing you've ever seen? What's the worst thing of your job? And, you know, they're looking for these great gory stories that they see on TV. Um, but it's not ever that. It is you know, where you have to have these conversations with families and friends and loved ones. And it's so unfortunate because it is simple little decisions that people don't necessarily appreciate how significant and impact it is. And it's the little things that matter most, just like on Valentine's Day or holidays. You see it and hear it in the commercials. It's the little things that matter. It absolutely is. It's wearing that helmet. It's pausing at that intersection. It's um, paying attention to your surroundings and being cautious that, you know, we are not invincible and appreciating that there, there are forces greater than us in this world. And we are just trying to get through the day sometimes staying away from those. 
and just the reality that of all the statistics, that one time it could be you. Is it worth being careless? I can tell you, I'm going to make sure I do everything that I can control to keep myself and my families as safe as possible. And that is the best that I can do. And that's the only thing that I can do. So my children, they have their bicycle helmets on when they ride their bikes and they're they have their um, elbow pads and knee pads. My middle child, Ben, is he's seven, and he thinks that he wants to ride a skateboard. And I'm like, go at it, have fun, but make sure you wear all your protective gear. Um, and don't go down the hill either. Um, we have a little hill in our neighborhood. And so, you know, it's, it's things like that that don't make it easy for people um, to try to hurt you unintentionally or intentionally. And do what you can to protect yourself because that's, that's what you have control over and pay attention to that. And then, you know, we, we all advocate our, so many of your listeners, I'm sure have had their lives impacted through the loss um, of someone dear to them from a motor vehicle crash or a motorcycle crash, bicycle crash, or had significant injuries because of that. Well, that's, that's your moment to stand up and say, you know what, I'm going to tell all my family members not to do X, Y, and Z. And if they do that, then we'll spread the messages across our communities and hopefully make things safer for the next person on the road. This has been Courtney Edwards, Director of Trauma Community Outreach at Parkland Health and Hospital System, keeping us safe every day. Catch our podcast if you missed it, The Human Side of Healthcare, on all the audio podcast players and on YouTube. Thanks to both of our guests. The COVID numbers are staying down. Let's keep it that way. Have a great first week of May and join us next week for the human side of healthcare. care.